Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. I'm Charles. And in today's episode, we're going to continue our series of episodes in which we're profiling and previewing each of the 10 F1 teams and their drivers. It's a reverse grid lineup, so we're going in reverse order of the 2021 constructor standings. Uh, today, we are up to sixth and fifth place teams, um, AlphaTari and Alpine. And before we dive in, we just want to say again, thanks to our friend Kay Strobes for letting us use a clip of his song, No Michael, No No, which you heard on the intro. If you'd like to hear the whole track or even buy a copy of it for yourself, check out our episode notes. Uh, you'll find links to do just that. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Um, getting really exciting now, just days away from the first race and... So much is unknown and uncertain. It's going to just, you know, I'm overusing the word uh, to an extreme, but it's going to be so interesting just to see, just to get a glimpse from the first race, how this stuff is going to start to take shape with all the changes. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're so close and it, it really hasn't been that long. What, it's been two and a half, three months since the, or I guess three months, full three months since the end of last season. Um, so it seems like it came upon us pretty quick, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly shaping up to be really exciting and uh, interesting uh, first race, that's for sure. I'm excited for this episode, too, because I feel like we're finally moving up the grid to a spot yes. where we have a little more um, concrete F1 data. Yeah. And I'm referring to teammate comparisons for the most part, but right. um, both the teams we'll talk about today, we have only one season, but one season where the drivers have been paired together. So we can, you know, use that as our... Uh, as our basis and really do a little bit better uh, comparison between the drivers rather than just going through their um, past accomplishments. Yeah. Um, All right. As I like to do, I will uh, start us out with some basic facts of the team. So AlphaTauri has been racing under the AlphaTauri uh, name just since the 2020 season. So they just finished the second season as AlphaTauri. Before that, it was the Toro Rosso team um, since about the mid-2000s. And Charles, here's, here's a question I had as I researched this. Is AlphaTauri still considered the junior team to Red Bull? Because Toro Rosso was, it was described I by, had by I had Red the Bull. exact same question okay. um, in my mind. And I believe, as I understand it, yes, they are sort of officially still an unofficial child team, I guess is the way to put it, you know, parent-child relationship. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was it's much so less than it was. At one point, they were, you know, sharing major components i think um i think they do still operate as a b team effectively you know yeah. they, they they previewed it was just a couple years ago that they took honda on before red bull and red bull wanted to see how honda did at uh, toro rosso at the time before they bumped them up to the big team so yeah they're mm. they still are a junior team but um i don't know what to what extent logistically and practically it affects the relationship between the te two teams yeah um at this point okay um, yeah so just to recap that Alvatari was previously Toro Rosso until 2020. Toro Rosso was the junior team to Red Bull, and now that status is a little. Maybe it's more of a sister team. Alvatari is more of a sister team to Red Bull, but still some level of coordination yeah. and cooperation. And they're an Italian team. Uh, the driver lineup in 2021, same as this year, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda, and their power unit is from Honda. And uh, looking back at Alvatari's uh, performance in the Constructors' Championship 
the last few years, uh, including when they were Toro Rosso for part of that period. Starting with 2017, um, they came in seventh in the constructors with 53 points. 2018 slid back to ninth, 33 points. 2019, this is still Toro Rosso, bumped up to six with 85 points. 2020, now they're AlphaTauri, seventh with 107 points. And last year, 2021, sixth with 142 points. So, you know, consistently, not quite middle of the pack, just off the back of the middle of the pack. Um, but there is, if you if you look at what they've done the last five years and their points totals, it does seem like there's a trend of improvement. Now, with the rule changes, what does that mean? But um, they were headed in the right direction. They are headed in the right direction, it seems. They really seem like one of the midfield teams that's punching above their weight. Yeah. So on that same token, though, they also seem like the least likely to move very far up the grid. You know, they're sort of always going to be in the midfield, um, unless, of course, these budget cap uh, limitations really do even the playing field that much. But uh, being a somewhat Red Bull Junior team, they're sort of right where they should should be in a way. Um, yeah. And maybe at the, at the top of that range where they should be. Yep. And just to cover the, um, the numbers on the budget cap, if I remember them correctly, uh, check, check my uh, recollection here. I think last year was the first year of the budget cap at $145 million. 2022, it's going down to $140 million per team. And then 2023, it'll go down to $135 million per team with a bunch of exclusions, including driver salary and logistics, I think you mentioned last time. So, okay, well, let's turn to the drivers uh, and we'll start with Pierre Gasly. Uh, Gasly was born February 7th, 1996. So he's 26 years old. He's French. He debuted in F1 in 2017 with Toro Rosso. Uh, only did a few races in 2017 or didn't, didn't do a full season. Uh, raced with Toro Rosso 2017 and 2018. 2019, he moved over or up to Red Bull for a season or at least part of that season. I'm not sure how much of that season he actually did. I think he did about raced. half the season. I, I want to say it's a little more than half the season. Okay. Um, so probably 10, 11, 12 races, something like that. He was pretty far. I think he was lapped one race by Verstappen. Um, he out-qualified him once, but it was because, uh, only once, but it was because Verstappen had some sort of red flag issue in qualifying. I didn't go back and look at exactly what it was, but um, okay. he wasn't uh, doing the number two driver. As we've talked about before, I think, um, in one of the other episodes, so Red Bull needed somebody that could disrupt Mercedes' strategy, uh, a second car that could do that, and Gasly was nowhere near yeah. near doing that. I think he was. This is totally recollection, but you know, like six, seven tenths on average off of Verstappen and qualifying. Yeah. Um, so I think you know. I don't remember they they were challenging. I don't think they were going to challenge for the world title that year, Red Bull. But um, it was certainly enough where they were good enough that it caused a bit of a panic where they dropped them mid-year because that doesn't, you know. They have mm -hmm. the luxury of having the junior team to send them back down to. Yeah. There's the evidence, what we were talking about, of junior parent team, the driver bumps ups and down. You know, they get most of their drivers from the junior team. Yeah. Um, okay, so so um, so Gasly didn't make it through 2019 with Red Bull. Uh, he goes back down to Toro Rosso, and Albon comes up to Red Bull. Um, and then, of course, uh, Gasly continues racing with uh, Toro Rosso in 2020 and 2021, which is AlphaTauri Alpha at that time. Yeah, he has 86 uh, career F1 starts, three podiums. 
uh, his best finish first at Monza in 2020, the season you just... He's a race winner in Formula One. Yeah. Not very many people can, can say that. Right. Um, his 2021 results, uh, best finish in 2021 was third at Baku, Azerbaijan. And his best qualifying position was fourth, uh, which he did four times, including two times in the last four races. So maybe finished strong there in qualifying. Um, and he finished in the 2021 Drivers' Championship. He finished ninth uh, with 110 points. And so just to recap his performance in the Drivers' Championship over the last few years, 2018, he finishes 15th with Toro Rosso. 2019 starts the season with Red Bull, finishes with Toro Rosso, as we discussed, and finishes 7th in the Drivers' Championship. Pretty impressive to still be 7th. Yeah. In that yeah, season. yeah. That shows really how good his back half was. <laughs> You'd think it was the front half when he was with Red Bull, but actually I would imagine most of those points were scored in the second half of the season with uh, Toro Rosso. Yeah. 2020 slides back to 10th. And then last year, as I mentioned, ninth uh, with 110 points. So, um, you know, a little bit all over the place, but kind of middle of the pack uh, last couple of years in the Drivers' Championship. Yeah, but particularly last year, he really seemed like one of the drivers that was getting the most out of his package. When we talk about AlfaTari, you know, sort of being at the maxing out their car more than others in the mid-pack, um, it, it's really ghastly doing that. Um, now, obviously, we'll talk about um, Sonoda, um, and he was a rookie, and you know, I yep. think he has an amazing amount of potential, and I'm really excited about about him. But last year, I mean, Gasly is operating at you know max level in that car. Um, you know, you, 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 you we look at Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen last year, and just, those guys were just out on another level in their car. Gasly's basically doing that in the AlphaTauri. Yeah. You know, he's doing the same thing, and he's just he's just ringing every ounce um, of speed out of that car that he that he can um, yeah and so it, it's impressive um, it is and I mentioned he had the third place finish last year in uh, Baku he also had a couple of fourth place finishes and two uh, fifth place finishes so like you said he's getting right up there even with that car and for the intra-team comparison with his teammate Yuki Sonoda who as you mentioned was a rookie um, Gasly dominated him um as you would expect um he out qualified him 21 to 1 it's actually then, 19 to 1 oh it is um please elaborate two of those I, I threw out in my tabulation i threw out uh, two of the qualifying uh, sessions for sonoda because he had no time set um so can't you know only fair to compare the ones where they each had an okay. equal opportunity to, and i don't know what uh sonoda's problems were in those races whether it was a mechanical issue um, or if he crashed out at some point. Yeah. If you crash out before you set a time, then it probably should count. Right. Um, so maybe one of those counts, maybe it doesn't. But either way, right. 19, to 19 to 1. 19 to 1 is 21, 21 to 1. 21 to 1. Yeah. It doesn't really change the uh, conclusion much, does it? So, but, but Sonoda was a rookie, and right. um, you know, he's impressive. He, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him a little later, and he had a, a very impressive uh, single F2 season. Um, in my book, but, but 19 to one, 21 to one, um, I'm going to sum him up in one sentence so far, his career in F1 so far. And it's going to say it's, uh, convincingly defeated in qualifying. <laughs> right. um, Again, with the intra-team, um, comparison, Gasly in race result, uh, Gasly 
out finished Sonoda 16 to five. Again, I'm not necessarily digging into the DNFs to figure out exactly what happened. And yeah, and races are even harder. Yeah. More more factors that complicate it, so it's easier just to look at the yeah. And that only that only totals 21 because there was one where they both did not finish. Or oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so there you accounted for at least right at least one of them. Yeah, 110 points to 32. I think um, that's pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty strong. <laughs> convincingly defeated in the races as well. Um, And we'll talk about Snowda, but Gasly just, I mean, you know, if there's one driver besides Hamilton and Verstappen that you want to say was getting the absolute most out of their car last year, my vote would be for for Gasly. Um, And it's been interesting to see, as you alluded to earlier, just how he responded to that demotion from Red Bull. That tells you a lot about a person's competitive spirit as to how they can deal with that kind of adversity where, you know, the team's basically saying you're not getting it done. We don't have confidence in you to get it done. And it's a mid-season demotion uh, with the whole world watching it happen. Yeah. Um, and he responds. Mentally tough. I mean, you got to be to recover for it from this the way he has. And it's two sides of the same coin in that you are demoted in front of the world in a very high-pressure job and a very high-pressure situation you know, where you're risking your life in, in some ways, and you've just sort of been thrown to the trash bin. Now, a lot of drivers, they just, they really literally do get thrown out of Formula One yep. and stuff like this happens. Luckily, he was able to bounce um, back to the, the junior team, um, and then he, you know, like I said, took the opportunity and ran with it. Um, but you got to be mentally tough. That's a huge blow. Yeah. On the same token, in order to get to where these guys have got, they have got to be, so arrogant, single-minded, and confident in their abilities mm-hmm. that it's that contradiction of in that moment when he's sacked, the contradiction of those two things, which are you going to choose? And yeah. it, it's clear what, what he chose, but I think he has described that as one of the most difficult times in his life and um, that, mm-hmm. but uh, um, has just performed, you know, in, incredibly at, at AlphaTauri, but it, it begs the question, what's next? What is, it, what is this resurgent um, redemption what does it get him in his Formula One career? There has been some talk recently that this may be his opportunity to step back into the Red Bull seat. Um, you know, once Perez's uh, time there is done, the next logical step would be to, to bump uh, Gasly up, you know, reward him for his performances. But if you're Gasly, is that what you want? Why he, not? He wants to be world champion, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to be second fiddle. Do you think that anyone is going to get into the second seat at Red Bull and beat Max Verstappen? Right. You know, for one thing, Max Verstappen is clearly a once-in-a-generation talent. When I say that, you know, Hamilton's a once-in-a-generation talent. There can be more once-in-a-generation talents in a generation, mm-hmm. and there right. usually are. But they're that that's the level. You know, you get to a certain level where you just sort of can't get any better. I mean, yeah. you can only get... 100% of the car's physics ability, physical ability, and some people seem to be able to do that on a consistent basis, Hamilton obviously being one of them, um, yep. and Verstappen another. How are you going to step in there and beat someone of that talent? But on top of that, that car, that team, it's designed and built around Verstappen. Mm. So mm-hmm. it seems like Gasly stepping up is just saying, conceding, I'm going to have the career that Botas has had. I'm going to have yeah. a good number two career. Um, now he's a race winner in F1. So, you know, I don't see stepping back up to the Red Bull seat as necessarily being that advantageous for Gasly. Uh, you know, and Verstappen, I believe they just signed a new contract and committed themselves to each other for another, 
you know, four or five, even possibly even longer. Right. So if he wants so, to be champion, he's he's got to go to a probably has to go contending team, but where they will somewhere else. Yeah. Invest in him with um, the car, or just yeah. so happens that they've got a seat, and the other guy in the other seat is beatable, you know, right. and hasn't been there forever. So so yeah, so it it seems like uh, it's a difficult road for Gasly there. So yeah, like, what are his other options? How else is he going to become world champion? Well, he continues to make his name here. He can hope that AlphaTauri can become a championship contender. Right. But as we've talked about, there's a number of reasons why that's probably pretty unlikely. Down to it's hard to move up from the midfield. Um, but there's also... still the junior circuit or a junior team. There's to still Red the Bull junior team. Sister yeah. team, junior sister team. So that seems uh, somewhat unlikely as well to get him to be that world championship or to get him to be world champion. Um, so... Then you've got somewhere else. He continues to put in the results this year, next year, and then he finds a team that has a seat and looks like they can maybe take the next step up, or they're already there. Now, yeah. they're already there. Right now, we've got Red Bull, Mercedes, maybe Ferrari this year. Yeah. McLaren looks like one of those teams that might need another year or two, but mm -hmm. might get there. Yeah. Uh, Ferrari looks like they might have done that this year. We'll see. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's say you've got Red Bull, uh, Mercedes, and Ferrari. Well, Red Bull's out because we already talked about that, right? Yep. Um, Ferrari, Leclerc's there for at least another two or three years contract. Saints, there they, they talk continually talk about how great of a Ferrari continually talks about how great of a driver pairing that is. Yeah. Um, so that's not changing. Maybe Hamilton will retire. Right. Right now, that's the only seat in another team that's a championship contender. Yeah. Russell's Hamilton just, having to retire. Russell's just slipping in. He's yeah. going to be there a while. Yeah. So, I mean. Gasly's route to a world championship is pretty unlikely at this point, yeah, even though point. he is showing himself to be top notch when the car is, is can suit him. You know, clearly the Red Bull didn't suit him and he wasn't able to adapt. But again, you, you know, that the overstopping thing. I interesting. And, 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 you know, obviously proving to be a, a great talent in formula one, um, or at least in my opinion, um, but he probably will. We probably will never see him world champion. There's a good chance. We'll never see him win another race. Yeah. Unless it's another like kind of flukish win like this, where there's conditions help a team lower down the grid, right? Get a victory. Yeah. So Gasly's route to the world championship seems fairly unlikely, um, and you know we may not even see him get another victory. Um, but he could also uh, really show himself again this year, and maybe next year or the year after. Maybe that Mercedes seat opens yeah. up. Maybe things change. Or maybe McLaren. Uh, you know, continues to rise up, and Ricardo's now been there three or four years, contracts up. Obviously, I think Norris is going to be there longer than that, but Ricardo's seat could open up. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's some possibilities. I would like to see Gasly find that McLaren or other team in the next couple of years that uh, is, is has become a contending team, has a seat for him, and then we can then when he, we can see what he can do um, over you know for a championship. Um, but honestly. You know, it's it's musical chairs, and I I don't see that as that likely to happen. You know. Yeah. But now let's get back to Sonoda. Um, the comparison between them is interesting, but Sonoda has a little bit more of background um, that we can get into, um, and I'm excited for it because uh, I'm excited to have another Japanese driver on the grid, and yep. to maybe we'll finally get that Japanese world champion someday. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll just uh, summarize some of the basics on Sonoda. Born May 11, 2000, so he's only 21 years old. Uh, he's Japanese, as you just mentioned. 
debuted in 2021 with Alvatari uh, alongside Gasly, who we just discussed. So just completed his rookie season and all the growing pains that go along with that. Uh, 22 F1 starts uh, last season. No podiums yet. His best qualifying uh, position was seventh. And his best finish was P4 in Abu Dhabi, the finale, which kind of got overshadowed uh, with, of course, there was, I think there was some controversy yeah, in there. Something. Some, I don't something remember about what it was. Just, I didn't yeah. go back and look at it. Yeah. Um, 32 uh, career F1 points, as you mentioned earlier. And in the 2021 Drivers' Championship, he finished 14th with those 32 points, uh, just behind the two Aston Martin drivers, Vettel and Stroll, and just ahead of George Russell. Pretty tough year for Sonoda. Pretty tough year. Big big points cap to, to Gasly. We've already talked about how well he was performing. Um, tough year for Sonoda, but he's a rookie, and he has a ton of potential and, and promise. Um, and he just seems so fresh-faced and, like, yeah. you know, eager and happy to be there. Um, Yuki Sonoda began karting at the age of nine. Technically, you could argue it's ten, but his birthday's in May, I believe, and he started karting the year that he turned ten in May. I'm assuming that he did a race or two before May, so I'm going to say nine because yeah. that aligns with all the other drivers that started at the age of nine. Seems fair. Um, but I think it's probably right, right? He probably had a race or two before May. So he starts karting at nine. From 2016 to 2018, he was in Japanese F4, um, and he did end up winning the title in 2018. In mm. 2019, he stepped up to Formula 3, uh, the FIA's Formula 3, um, finished ninth, he also did the Euro Formula Open Series and finished fourth in 2019. In 2020, he steps up to Formula 2, and he has an impressive rookie season. Third as a rookie, um, three race wins. Uh, two of those were actually feature wins. One of them was a sprint win, sprint race win. Um, and then that season propels him into F1 in 2021. I've watched a bit of the 2020 season and all F2 season in preparation for, for these episodes, and it was an impressive season. Um, yeah. He looked, you know, as a rookie, he looked quick um, majority of the season. Um, and he had some incidents, you know, that were his fault, that weren't his fault. Uh, um, but for a rookie in Formula 2, in the state of Formula 2 in 2020, that's impressive. Um, but uh, clearly a CV that uh, rates uh, a bump up to F1. Yeah. And just uh, to your point about that uh, 2020 F2 season, we did briefly discuss that in our Haas episode when we discussed Mick Schumacher, who was the F2 champion that season. And we mentioned how tight the points were. Um, and Yuki, and I'll just you know remind us of that. Yuki Tsunoda, third with 200 points. Callum Illett, second with 201. And Schumacher wins with 215. So super tight. And uh, Tsunoda's right. He, he could have very easily won the F2 championship in 2020, even though he finished third. And that's, yeah, 15 points isn't very much. We've talked about Norris was 60-something and Latifi was 50-something or 60-something. and um, So 15 points isn't much. And that's third, you know. Yeah. So an impressive, impressive rookie season. I said this a little before that, you know, there's been plenty of uh, Japanese drivers in Formula 1. Not a ton that really got a proper opportunity or proper shot at it, but there's been quite a few Japanese drivers and some very talented ones um, as well. I think the last one who really seemed like he might be world championship potential was Takuma Sato. Now, there's been a few that have had success since then, um, and I don't want to uh, 
negate their success at all um, or their abilities. Mm. Um, uh, Sato was the last one that I was really sort of like, this is it. This is our Japanese world champion. Um, and certainly Sato, very talented, a two-time Indy 500 winner. And with the right opportunity, he probably could have been a world champion. But it never came. Um, and now we've got Sonoda, who... But it, he just seems to me like he really could be it. He mm-hmm. could be the talent. And so um, it was hard to watch him struggle last year. Um, I think in the first race last year in Q2, he was like second fastest or something, or maybe even led it. And it was all, and then it just sort of went down from hell. Everyone was like, first race, look at this guy. And then yeah. it just went straight downhill. Um, and then he gathered himself. I think he moved to you know Italy to be near the team. And um, and he gathered himself and he, he committed, worked harder, whatever. He appears to have uh, further committed himself to it. And then the results started to come a little bit better, overshadowed a bit um, by how well Gasly was performing. Even at the end of the season, you'd look at Sonoda's results maybe in a vacuum. You'd start to think this is he's starting to get it. Yeah. But when you compare it to Gasly, it still doesn't look that great. Um, but again, he's a rookie and I cannot stress any further, um, how, uh, highly ghastly was performing, uh, last year. Yeah. Um, so personally for me, Sonoda, I'm excited and I'm, uh, expecting it's going to be a lot tighter between the two of them this year. Um, and that's no, uh, short order, so to speak, because, uh, you know, Gasly's really getting it done. And, and to your point about, um, how he kind of turned things around a bit, um, last season, Sonoda did finish the season with three uh, qualifying eighth three times in the last three races, which was you know close to his best qualifying performance, and he did it three times in a row. And then, of course, had the fourth in Abu Dhabi. So, um, yeah, that, you, that, that's a good way to go into the off season, I would think, for a rookie, um, and to go in with some success uh, at the end of the season boost your confidence, and uh, send you off into the offseason. Well, and that, that one qualifying victory he had over Gasly was Abu Dhabi. It's the last race. He finally got <laughs> That's right. Got that, that qualifying win. That's right. He qua- Sonoda qualified 8th, and Gasly qualified 12th. So he got him. All right, Charles. Well, do we have any predictions for the team Alfatari or Gasly or Sonoda? I'm going to make the boring prediction that they're going to continue to punch above their weight in the midfield. I don't think there's some crazy bold prediction to make here that I can go and laugh at how bad I was next year, but um, I think I'm just going to stick with what I said before. I think it's going to be a lot closer between Gasly and Sonoda, and I'm hoping um, Gasly maintains his form, and by the end of the year, Sonoda is starting to really match him and maybe even beat him on a consistent basis, but uh, beating him is a tall order. So yeah. we'll see. Um, but I'd like to see Sonoda to continue to develop. So I'm going to predict that he's going to do that. And by the end of the year, these guys are pretty darn well uh, evenly matched or, you know, maybe just a little bit to Gasly. Yeah, I would agree. I think you would see, you'd expect to see Sonoda make, you know, a great strides just having gone through his rookie season and gotten just all the, just having gone through his rookie season and gotten that behind him. Uh, you would expect that to be an inflection point in, in driver development. So, all right, well, we'll uh, we'll look for all that in 2022. And with that, we can close the book on AlphaTauri. So let's move up the grid now to the fifth place team from 2021, Alpine. We'll start with my basic facts summary for the team. Uh, the team itself has been around for quite a while, like decades, but it's only been running under the Alpine name since 2021 season. I don't understand why they changed the name to Alpine. I I mean, I haven't looked that hard at it, so I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation, but 
it's basically yeah. still Renault. Like, can we just right, right? So it's it's Renault under the Alpine brand. It's a British team, although I feel funny saying that. It's based in the UK, but it's Renault. Is it British? Is it French? What what is it? I mean, in the in some senses, they're all British teams, except for Ferrari and I guess Alfatari, whoever, because they're all based in you know a lot of them are based in and Haas in England and all around the same area of England. Um, and the 2021 driver lineup, uh, same as this year, Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. The power unit is from Renault, of course. And I'll just summarize uh, the team's performance in the Constructors' Championship last uh, five years here. 2017, they finished sixth. 2018, fourth. 2019, fifth. 2020, fifth. 2021, fifth. Well behind fourth place McLaren in points, but um, they just edged out Alphatari in points. Um, Alpine had 155 points, Alphatari had 141, so that battle for fifth place was tight. Um, but Alpine uh, took fifth last year. So a solidly midfield team. They've been consistent in recent years, just haven't broken through to the front of the front of the field. And I think the. A sobering fact of that is that they probably only beat Alfatari because they had one driver who was inexperienced and was trying to find his footing. Sonoda. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Alpine is another one of those teams that has been sort of rebuilding the last three or four years. And to be fair, as I've said before, it takes time to move up the grid. Um, but, you know, when they're all, all the midfield is in the middle of restructuring and whatever and all now putting their best foot forward, um, when you've been saying that for three or four years – and you're still in the same place, yeah. it starts to get a little bit eye-rolling. Um, yeah. So that's kind of when I take away, when I look at the comparative finishing positions of AlphaTauri and Alpine, mm -hmm. I think I don't hear nearly as much from AlphaTauri about how we're rebuilding and doing all this. Um, and so the fact that they beat Alpine, um, or I'm sorry, but the fact they were so close to Alpine, despite kind of having driver. you know, yeah, um, one hand tied behind their back, just kind of makes me more skeptical that Alpine is really going to move that far up the grid. Yeah. That being said, they've got an excellent driver pairing. So let's go into that because maybe that could make the difference. Good. Okay. Let's start with Alonzo. He's born July 29th, 1981. <laughs> so he's 40 years old. And like an easy 15, 20 years from every other driver we've been talking about so far. Yeah. You know, 80? 80s? He was born in 81? What? Right. Sonoda could be his child. Well, a few of them could be his child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Spanish, and of course, he's uh, a two-time F1 uh, champion, 2005 and 2006 with Renault. And I'll summarize his F1 career. It's a long one, so there's a, a lot of data here, a lot of moves, but um, might be some helpful context. Alonso debuted in F1 in 2001 with Minardi. And I believe that Minardi is actually AlphaTauri. I believe that the team that is AlphaTauri came oh. out of Minardi, you know, at some point Minardi was bought by someone else. They renamed it, and then eventually it became Toro Rosso, which became um, AlphaTauri. Okay. Um, and then Renault signed Alonso to be a test driver for the O2 season, and then Alonso moved up to race for Renault in 2003. Raced with Renault through 2006, won those two world championships uh, in 05 and 06, then left to McLaren uh, just for the 2007 season, then back to Renault for 08 and 09, 
then on to Ferrari 2010 to 2014, then back to McLaren 2015 to 2018, although he was still with McLaren in some like uh, brand ambassador capacity for 2019, but he did not race in F1 2019 and 2020. I'd like a brand ambassador gig. That sounds like good work, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he was also doing uh, Indy 500 duty and Le Mans duty. Uh, I think he did Dakar, too, at some point oh, really? off-road in That's that, cool. in that uh, business. Yeah, trying to get the Triple Crown of Motorsport. Or... So Alonso was out of F1 in 2019 and 2020, comes back to F1 in 2021 with Alpine. And Alonso is one of those drivers like Vettel that I feel like is kind of happy and and uh, it's it's a little more pleasing to watch. He's not necessarily yeah. uh, too worried about how many more world titles. He t- he's not necessarily worried too much about how many world titles he wins. Um, although, you know, obviously he's still very motivated and very competitive. Now, I talked about how authentic Vettel was, and I do think that applies to Alonzo, but it's in a little more of a look-at-me way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really that. a guy that seems to be wanting to have a lot of fun and wanting to do all kinds of different things in motorsports, not just Formula One. Bob obviously still had his eye on Formula One when an opportunity came up that he thought he could win with again. He's going to jump back on it. Yeah. But you'll see him in the Indy 500 again at some point because he wants to win that. So he is authentic, but it is a little more of a I'm building my legacy way. Yeah. Whereas Vettel, I just don't think cares about his legacy anymore. Um, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong, but... Yeah. Um, so Alonzo for me, but again, another sort of, uh, pleasing driver to watch, uh, operate, watch he go, how he goes about his business during the weekend and in the interviews, because, uh, you get a little more candor from him and he, you know, just seems like a little more interesting, uh, on a personal, yeah, a personal level. I haven't covered it yet. Mm. I'm going to ask you, what age do you think that Alonzo started karting? The way you said that, I have to believe it's the magic age of nine. And I'm covering up my notes here so you can't cheat. Um, It's actually not. Oh, darn it. Um, You would have to go back to the age of three. Three. That can't be real So when Alonzo was three years old, his father built a cart for his sister, his older sister. I don't know how much older she was than him, so I don't know how old she was at the time. She was apparently not interested, so he modified the cart – to fit the pedals so that Alonzo could fit as a three-year-old. Wow. Now, I didn't... That's the extent that I saw of his three-year-old experience, and I haven't read the Fernando Alonzo biography, so um, I don't know exactly that, but he did get a competitive license at five. So at the very wow. least, he started karting at the age of five. Um, he had his first race win at the age of seven. Jeez, super, the age super of early. Seven, Nicholas Latifi was, again, still coloring his coloring. <laughs> right. Um, so that's an early start. That's a very early. That's the earliest one I think we've tracked so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, a long F1 career. Uh, F1 starts 336, 98 podiums, um, 32 wins, and career F1 points, 1,980 points. So long and very successful career. 98 podiums and yep. you know I, I think if there's a hall of fame right alonzo's going in it he's a double world champion um a legacy of one of the greats of the sport right yeah lewis hamilton has more wins i believe than alonzo has podiums 
I believe Hamilton has 100 wins, right? I think you're or right. Or yeah, or there was 100 99 something. or something, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's a stat I wasn't aware of, and I'm, you know, I'm not surprised by it because Alonzo has spent a lot of his career in underperforming car or cars that weren't capable of, of wins. I don't want to match up their talents. They're both incredible. Um, you know, statistically, Hamilton is un, is it's not arguable. Hamilton is the greatest statistically of all time. But um, but that's a interesting interesting statistic to see. And in the 2021 Drivers Championship, Alonso finished 10th with 81 points, just ahead of teammate Esteban Ocon and just behind uh, Gasly. As far as the intra-team competition in 2021 between Alonso and Ocon, uh, pretty even. Um, qualifying was split 11 to 11 between them, and in race finishes, Alonso edged out Ocon 11 to 10. So very even there. Um, as, as we've discussed, Ocon had the win um, in Hungary. Um, Alonso had a third-place finish in Qatar. Qatar. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, very even split between the, the two drivers in 2021. Now you have the wrinkle here. It's nice that we've got this year that we can compare them, right? And so that's where we're going. You know, when we talk about what, what do we see for next year, this pairing is, going. you know, the relative performance of the two is what we're going to talk about. Um, but the wrinkle from last year is that Alonzo had a year off and it was a new, new car to him. And so as we saw with all the new drivers last year, uh, Carlos Sainz, um, Daniel Ricardo, they all need some adaptation time. And it's different for all of them. You know, it almost seems like Ricardo didn't quite ever get there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, quite up, you know, or maybe Norris is just that good. Um, obviously, I highly rate Ricardo. So um, it's probably a little bit of both. But uh, Science yeah. looked like he adapted a little quicker than some of the others. And I remember, this is just going off recollection from last season, Alonso being one of the uh, faster drivers to adapt and get up to speed. I think he outqualified Ocon in the first race or the second race. Like you said, 81 to 74 in Alonzo's favor in points. And there's something to consider there because Ocon won a race. He won Hungary. That's 25 points for a victory. That's right. So the fact that Alonzo didn't win a race, they're a midfield team that they collect points, but you're not usually not collecting tens of points at a time. Um, Alonzo still beat him, even though Ocon won a race and he didn't. So yeah. that's kind of uh, interesting. I didn't go too hard at the comparison from 2021 beyond this stuff, so there may be reasons for that, um, you know, yeah. DNFs and stuff like that um, that explain that. Um, but Alonzo seemed to adapt pretty quickly. <laughs> but also, again, it's a pretty high level. Alonzo's a big bar, and you know we'll we'll get into Ocon, um, but uh, that's a tall bar. So for Alonzo to narrowly beat Ocon, even though it's first season for Alonzo back, you know, he's got lots of experience. He's going to adapt pretty quickly. Um, and for Ocon to beat him in qualifying, uh, Ocon's uh, stock has raised a bit in my eyes. Yeah, agreed. Um, in 2021, Alonzo's best qualifying uh, position was fifth in Qatar. And then his best finish was third, also in Qatar or Qatar. Um, then he also had a fourth in Hungary, where you just mentioned Ocon won that uh, Grand Prix, in part due to Alonso's great uh, defense against Hamilton. Mm, I forgot that about right? that, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there you go, too. I mean, can you imagine Hamilton in Alonso's position there? Um, you're, you're suggesting Hamilton will not defend as aggressively? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Oh, okay. I'm not saying that. I mean, Hamilton's so competitive, I can't see him not ever defending aggressively. Um, he's also very smart, though. But, um, you know, so maybe he wouldn't defend if it would uh, be an advantage to him. But 
you know, I'm t- thinking of the Vettel Alonso happy to be here, just you know, enjoying this yeah. rather than still maybe so wrapped up in the results. Um, you know, I say all that anyway. These guys are probably just as wrapped up as everybody else in the results on the grid. Um, but Alonso basically sacrificed his own race. I mean, I, it wasn't like a situation where he was necessarily going to finish lower in the order, but he did all he could to get his teammate the win. Yeah. You know, these guys don't care about their teammates. These guys, every single driver on that grid wants to destroy his teammate so bad <laughs> that the guy quits F1. Right. You know, that he quits motorsports. These guys are single-minded. You know, you have to have the quality to make it, make it this far. You sure. basically do. They're not nice guys in, in terms of, you know, in, in the, when they're operating, you know, as a race driver. Um, you know, but he had the team. Now, obviously, they have to be team players, and this is a team sport, um, so they will do that. But, but he really gave it his all to get Ocon the win, to get Ocon's first win. Yeah. That's a guy that's confident in his resume. He's won races in F1. He's won titles in F1. So you know what? Let's get this guy this win. He yeah. seemed happy for him at the yeah. end of the race is what I'm saying. Yeah, he did. Hamilton is still in that I'm collecting. And I'm not knocking Hamilton for this. This is, you know, again, you've got to have this quality yeah. to get there. And when you're there, to be able to have that quality still at Hamilton's length and his you know, time in his career is impressive. Yeah. You know, for me, I personally, I like the guys that are showing the more humility more. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect Hamilton at all. Yeah. It's amazing that he could keep up this level of performance for this many years. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really does kind of set him apart from almost even people in, in history. Um, but Alonso seemed generally happy for Ocon. Let's get Ocon the win. You know, right. this is good for the team. Yeah. Um, and this will help me later maybe. So um, you're, saying, you're saying maybe Alonso – he could have gotten he could have gotten a third place if he went faster and pressed, but he was he was trying to go fast enough to stay in front of Hamilton, but maybe hold Hamilton up a little bit. Maybe I don't yeah. I don't know I, I don't think it's that he had to change what he was doing, or that he did change what he was doing. I think it's more that it just that you know like he still would have done the same thing, but the spirit wouldn't have been in him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like he would have done his duty, and he would have got Oak on the wing and uh, win, and he would have held up Hamilton or whoever it was. I the only reason I mentioned Hamilton was four was not because he was the one trying to pass um, Alonso. You know, it just that it seemed like his heart was in it. You know, whereas yeah. a, or normally you wouldn't expect his heart to be in it yeah. because why would it be? It's it's not really helping him. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And so that's just interesting to me. And you know, I might be making all this up. You know. Um, but that's what I saw. Um, and so that's interesting to me about Alonzo. I imagine though, you're going to see less of that kind of thing for him. If Alpine moves up the grid, if Alonzo starts getting a taste of, of the, the possibility or the opportunity for race wins and even a championship blood in the water title, it's blood in the water. Yeah. It's out the door because he's still Fernando Alonso and he's going to become what I just said. Hamilton has maintained. He's going to snap right back in that. Yep. Okay, well, let's turn to uh, Ocon. Um, Esteban Ocon, date of birth, September 17th, 1996. So he's 25 years old. Uh, He's French. Little summary of his F1 career. Debuted in 2016 with the Manor F1 team. Only drove part of that season. Uh, Then went to Force India for 2017 and 2018. Then sits out the 2019 season. Comes back with Renault for 2020. And then uh, Renault becomes Alpine, as we discussed, in 2021. So he's been back uh, you know, now for two years since sitting out 2019. 89 career F1 starts, two podiums, best finish. We've mentioned it a couple of times here. 
Uh, he won the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix and 272 career F1 points. And in the 2021 Drivers' Championship, he finished 11th, uh, as we've mentioned, just behind Alonso, um, just ahead of Sebastian Vettel. And Charles, just a brief recap of Ocon's performance in the Drivers' Championship uh, last five years. Well, four, because he was out 2019. But 2017 with Force India, he finishes eighth. 2018 slides back to 12th. 2019, he's out. 2020, he comes back with Renault, finishes 12th. And then last year, um, finishes uh, 11th with Alpine. Yeah, so a race winner in Formula One. Um, so that makes his, I think, at this point, yeah. once we start talking race winners, we can talk a little less about their um, CV pre-Formula One. But his is a little interesting, so I'd like to note a few things. Um, first of all, of course, I'll start with that uh, he did begin karting at the magical age of nine. He did. Um, so in 2014, he was the European F3 champion. In 2015, he was the GP3 champion. Uh, and he kind of skipped the uh, F2 GP2 at the time route and went to the DTM for Mercedes. And I think the main reasoning there was he he was a Mercedes development driver at the time. What's DTM? Um, oh, it's the it's touring. Um, it's like the touring car, and that's not exactly touring cars, but um, the European series. And um, so he skipped the F2 GP2 route and went straight to the DTM, uh, where he raced for Mercedes in, in 2016. Um, and he did that uh, mainly because he was a Mercedes development driver at the time. So I think they were mm -hmm. trying to get him an F1, but the let's go through DTM in one of our Mercedes cars. A number of other drivers um, have done that. Uh, Gary Paffett for a long time was a McLaren driver who I believe won the DTM championship, and he got a few one-off F1 races, but uh, not exactly a feeder series for Formula One. But mm. So I believe he was a development driver through his time at Force India. I think it was when he switched to Renault. Um, that he was, you know, not dropped, but um, released from the Mercedes um, program so he could be, you know, become a part of Renault. Okay. Um, so okay. I said, um, yeah. so ahead. I said before how Ocon's stock has sort of been raised in my eyes from, from last season. Um, and I think for whatever reason, and this is obviously incorrect, but I didn't really rate Ocon when he was coming up. And it's partly because they had another driver in their program uh, Pascal Werlein, who eventually went to FE, but uh, he, I think, at least, I don't know, for some reason in my eyes, he was the one I expected would eventually get the second Mercedes seat. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, Force India chose Ocon, after, I think after testing both of them, over Werlein, and then Werlein ended, and then Werlein ended up spending another year um, in what was Sauber, I believe then, um, and then okay. and then went to FE and... Uh, I don't know where he is now. But I had rated Werlein over Ocon. Mm -hmm. And Ocon, then when he went to Force India, he and Perez, they had a lot of comings together, as we would say, but they were pretty closely matched. And I sort of expected that if Ocon is the next Mercedes second driver, mm -hmm. that he was he should have shaded Perez, who, you know, I think, again, I didn't really rate Perez as highly as I should have because he's really, I think, showed last year. And, and Perez is a great driver, a master at at uh, you know making tires last and um, but I expected Ocon if he was this next ultimate talent to shade Perez and he didn't um, so I just never really rated Ocon that high but this past season 
you know, he went up against Fernando Alonso. Yeah. So I think I was wrong. Held up pretty um, well. And I will say that, uh, yeah, now. So for me, I it's interesting to watch Ocon's development. And when he won the race in Hungary, um, now he's a race winner. He's matching Alonso in a lot of ways, um, beating him in some ways. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, he's going to suffer from the same thing that we've talked about with other drivers and that if he beats Alonso or matches him, are people going to think, He's that good, or are people going to think that Alonzo's past slipping. past his prime? Yeah, yeah. slipping. Right. Um, so that would yeah. be interesting. Ocon's for me one one to watch. Yeah, yeah, he did show uh, some uh, maybe momentum at the end of the season uh, as well. He and it did, we mentioned a few times now he had that win in Hungary, but he also um, finished fourth in Saudi Arabia and then fifth in Qatar. Um, so, uh, went out at the end of the season, uh, in a strong way. We'll see how that carries over to 2022 and that will, uh, close the book on Alpine. So I think in this episode, we've had some interesting intra-team driver comparisons, yeah. which we haven't really been able to do quite as well on the lower part of the grid that we've already done. I'm excited for what's coming now because we move into the top four yes. teams we move to McLaren and Ferrari. Yep. Some really interesting driver pairings there. I have a lot to say about Daniel Ricciardo um, and Lando Norris, I feel like. Um, I think it's probably pretty obvious I'm a Verstappen fan. Um, but I was a Leclerc fan before I was a Verstappen fan. Hmm. And I am really excited to see Charles Leclerc have a uh, championship contending car again. Yeah. Um, we don't know if it's there, but... We'll see. Testing pretty, suggests pretty Ferrari's, yeah, yeah. Ferrari's up there. And then <laughs> our final team preview episode will, of course, be Mercedes and Red Bull. Yes. And we could probably have a six-hour debate just about the last race of last season. Right. Um, but, I mean, I think for me the most exciting thing that we're going to talk about and that we're all about to see is uh, Hamilton and Russell going at it in the same car um, yeah. or the same team. Um, so I'm really excited to delve into, uh, both of those, uh, both of those episodes, but, uh, and all four of those teams, but it just gets for me, I guess what I'm trying to say is it just gets more and more interesting, exciting, the closer we get to Mercedes and Red Bull and more importantly, Hamilton and Verstappen. And that will do it for us today. Thanks for joining us at the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. So please do join us for that next episode, where, as Charles mentioned, we're going to preview McLaren and Ferrari as we move up the grid. Hope to see you soon.